may have a seat. And what a joy it really is to see each of you here today. Um, I, I, I can't, maybe this is my lack of faith, but like every Sunday I show up and I see your faces again. I'm like, oh yeah, great. We get to do this again. <laughs> we get to worship and begin, focus on Jesus, make a big deal and see what it is that God wants to do among us. Um, it's a privilege. So thank you for joining us. And today we're just going to dive right in. Thank you, JJ. We're going to dive right in to our fifth week of a series we're going through um, on the Holy Spirit called Filled with God, the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. And man, I, I've, I've really personally been, been learning. <laughs> There's so much you forget until you actually go back and begin to teach this, right? Um, and so it's been extremely edifying for me. But if you guys remember those who were here, week one, we really just started by saying, well, who is the Holy Spirit? And saying that he is God. And that God, the Father, God, the Son, have sent the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, to dwell within all of those who believe in what Jesus has done for us. That means that if you are a follower of Jesus, you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Is that not wild? It just keeps hitting me. He dwells in you. But for, well, what's his role? Well, we talk about first, that he's the spirit of truth. Jesus calls him that because he speaks to us and leads us to the reality of who God is and who he says we are. And then we look the week after that and say that he is also the spirit who transforms and molds our character to become like Jesus. We become people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which are called the fruits of the Spirit. And then last week, Pastor David did a great job opening 1 Corinthians 12 and explaining how three, the Spirit also graces us with spiritual gifts, or as he explained, spirit-controlled abilities, like encouragement, service, prophecy, teaching, tongues, and others. And then we all have unique wirings and giftings that the Holy Spirit has given us because we all have a role to play as his church together. And this week, I get to build on what David set up last week. And that uh, we are going to move from 1 Corinthians 12 to 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to focus on two specific spiritual gifts. And they are the gifts of tongues and prophecy. <laughs> Here's my chuckle. <laughs> Why? Because these two gifts automatically invite the most questions. And anytime you say we're going to do a sermon series on the Holy Spirit... They're the elephants in the room that no one's talking about. All right, so we want to talk about them. Just put them out there and let's, let's, let's see what Scripture says about them to the best of our ability. Now, but before I unpack that, though, I do acknowledge that we all come at this topic from a bunch of different backgrounds which have informed our understanding and expectations for gifts like these. Um, so before we get into all that, let's first off acknowledge that. You know, 12 years ago, Shelby and I were married. And 
At that point, our two lives became one, which sounds like a super romantic idea, right? But practically, it's not always so easy. And it didn't take us long in our marriage before we realized that each of us had a few different expectations on a few things based on our different backgrounds. And one example of that difference was the evening meal called dinner. Maybe you call it supper. That's weird. It's dinner. (laughs) That's my background. But see, I grew up in a home where dad came home from work at 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. And at 5.30, we sat down and we had dinner together as a family. Right? It was the culmination of our day. It was a key part of our family rhythm. But Shelby's dad was a pastor. Her mom is a nurse, which meant that they had very different working hours. Their evenings were often full of commitments. Their house was often full of people. They knew that dinner was necessary, but they did not revolve their lives around it. So... Fast forward to our marriage. I get to a place where I get to the end of my day and I have expectations that dinner is going to be right there. We're going to have it planned and ready to go. Shelby, on the other hand, knows we need to eat, but it's not going to rule her life. And so we typically found this out when both of us were quite hangry, if you know what I mean. Which it, was, it wasn't always fun. But as we got married, we realized, though, that, okay, yes, dinner is important. But we also realized it's not the destination. We don't live for dinner. Instead, we realized it's important because of the purpose. The purpose is that we mark out space that we can, can connect with each other. And see, we as a church have been united in Jesus together. We come from a bunch of different backgrounds and have a bunch of different expectations on some things. And one of those things inevitably are the spiritual gifts, especially tongues and prophecy. Some, I've talked to some Christians, and they view these two gifts as the destination. We know we will have arrived when we start doing this a lot. That, that, is the, that is a sign that we really are doing what we're supposed to do. But as we'll read in 1 Corinthians 14, the, the church in Corinth had the gifts too. But I, they had not arrived because they were using them for the wrong reasons. But then others of you in here, you may be thinking, coming from the complete opposite direction. You're like, what are we even talking about right now? Like, I, I don't, like, are we sure that these gifts, tongues, part, like, are they even valid today? Is this even necessary to spend a Sunday even talking about this? Right? And so as we look at that, I recognize that some of you may just be thinking, this is just straight up weird. But, as we'll see, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Paul says to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Okay, well, what do we do with that? So as we open chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians together, I do want to encourage all of us, no matter what background you come from, to also open your hearts and minds to what God's Word may teach us here. And as we unpack it, I'm going to show first what are tongues and prophecy. 
What does Paul mean by it? Two, what are the problems that come with it for the Corinthian church and still are often present in churches today? But three, we're going to move at the end to, but what's the point of them? What is the intended purpose for them? If they're not the destination, but we recognize that they're important, Paul says to desire them, what is the point of them? So let's open up together to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're just going to read the first five verses for now. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you want to turn there. You can grab this pewback Bible, and we're on page 932. 932. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, we try to keep, it, keep this message every week. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of these home with you. All right? You can take it. It's yours. Mark it up. Underline things, whatever you need to do. Um, this is our gift to you, but we encourage you to please read it. So, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. I'm going to then give us a framework for what these gifts are. And then I'm going to read a, another chunk of this chapter in order to see, okay, what is their intended purpose? You guys ready? All right, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. All right, I need to pray for this message. So just join me in prayer. God, I pray that you would be the one speaking today, that my heart would be open to you. That if there, I got, men words planned, but if there's anything you want to say instead, may you speak that into my heart and my mind because we need to hear from you, not me. We need to understand your word better, not get my human ideas. And so God, on a tough topic like this, one that, that man, churches tend to disagree on, I pray that you will still unify us in your spirit, unify us in Christ, and help us to, together to come to a deeper, better, richer understanding of who you are and what you and your spirit desire to do within us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right. So there are big problems in the church in Corinth in the first century. And we're going to get to those problems. We're going to talk about what those are. But before we get to that, what are these two gifts, tongues and prophecy? And what does Paul mean when he refers to them here? And why do they even matter? Why are they important for the church today? Well, let me at least start here. Tongues and prophecy are gifts of God's grace from God's Spirit, which are meant to strengthen our relationship with God and build up His church. Let me say that again. Tongues and prophecy are gifts from God's grace from God's Spirit that are meant to strengthen our relationship with God and build up His church. Now, first off, from the bat, I want to acknowledge that there are some Christ followers, genuine, sincere Christ followers, who believe that these gifts are no longer valid for the church today. 
All right, this is a view called cessationism. And they believe that the tongues and prophecy, they were only for the apostles and for the early Christians, but not for today. The, the thinking goes that because we now have the scriptures, we don't need any more the revelatory gifts of the Spirit. And I wish, man, I wish I had time to dive into the origins of that view and how it's often supported biblically. But, but I will just say, as a church leadership, you know, we are unified in a common understanding that there's stronger scriptural support that these gifts are still intended by the Spirit for Christ followers today. All right? And, for example, at Pentecost, Peter quoted the Old Testament prophet Joel. And he told them, he says, in the last days, which I think we're still in those days, that God would pour out his Spirit on all people. And that they will prophesy as a result of that. And if you, if you study church history of the last 2,000 years, you can see plenty of examples as well of Christians exercising these gifts. And if you have a lot more questions about this, this view of cessationism and are they still valid for the day, man, I would love to talk to you about it. Man, come find me. Um, and that would be a great conversation. But if you want a more in-depth study or what I feel like is a great response to the view of cessationism, I would totally recommend a classic book by R.T. Kendall called Holy Fire, A Balanced Biblical Look at the Holy Spirit's Work in Our Lives. Um, it's been a tremendous resource for me and it's been extremely helpful for me. And you can find it at christianbook.com or wherever you go. But today, um, I want to actually, I think it would be more beneficial for us to spend the short amount of time I have talking about what these gifts are and what is the healthy keyword use of them. All right? Healthy use of them. So first, let's talk about what they are. First, what does Paul mean by tongues in this letter to the church in Corinth? Well, it's worth noting that I see Paul recognizes that there are actually different types of this gift called tongues. And he acknowledges that in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. At the bottom of that, you see the different types of tongues. And I want to say that because this hopefully eliminates some confusion. You know, in Acts chapter 2, you may think of, in Acts chapter 2, there is that amazing scene where, where the Christians are praying in the upper room and the Holy Spirit blows in the room and settles upon them, it says, like tongues of fire over them. And that the Holy Spirit then gives them the ability to now speak in foreign languages as they spill out into the streets of Jerusalem and begin to speak about Jesus in a language that the foreigners there could understand. And because of that, the church grew in amazing, miraculous ways from the very beginning. But when I read 1 Corinthians 14... I see this tongues here as being different from the Acts 2. Because Paul here refers to a tongue that is another language, but he calls it in verse 2 a mysterious language. One that's meant between the believer and God, not for others. So this is what New Testament scholar Gordon Fee defines tongues here. As, as prayer and praise directed toward God in the language of spirit inspiration. To try to put it another way, tongues in this context are a heart language 
that is meant to be between the believer and God, which Paul says serves to edify the believer as they connect with God. And this spiritual gift also enables the Spirit to pray and praise God through us when we don't know what to pray. You guys okay? You still with me? Some of you give me the side eye. That's okay. That's okay. Let me just say, though, when I talk about tongues, tongues are not some weird phenomenon where you get in this uncontrollable trance and your eyes roll back in your head and you just start talking and you can't control it, right? That's not what tongues are, all right? If, if that's what you have in your head, realize that when this gift is given by the Spirit, it is a prayer language that we are willfully practice. And at times, Paul says, the Spirit will give us interpretation of what we are praying or give someone else an interpretation so that we are able to engage with what we're praying with our minds as well. So if this is all new to you, like it was once for me too. I didn't hear or anything about tongues really until I got to college. I remember one time in high school, I heard somebody praying in tongues, and, and like, it, was, it was just super confusing to me. But it wasn't until college, where I met all these you know, awesome Christian, uh, other Christian students, and then I go to a service, and I hear these normal people talking in totally weird, strange, praying in, pray, in this strange language. And I immediately started making fun of it. I'm not going to tell you what I said, but I started making fun of it. But over time, God by his spirit began to open my mind to the idea that maybe God does give languages of prayer that are just between the believer and God. And in time, as my mind was open to it, I started actually desiring it. And not because anybody forced me to. But I went to somebody and I said, hey, I think you have this gift. Can you pray over me? Because I want to receive it too. And in that moment, I had to suspend my need to resolve every mystery. And as, I, as he prayed, all of a sudden my tongue started feeling heavy and these strange sounds started coming out of my mouth. And as they did, I was still skeptical. And I was like, but God, like, is this, is this really you? If this is really you, like, like, then what am I praying for right now? And in that moment, like, just a, a people group that I never thought to pray for in my life came to my mind. And I realized in that moment that whatever this was, it was a, the Spirit praying through me for this particular people group that I never would have thought to pray for. And since that day, man, I recognize, and this is a gift that God gives. And I choose to pray in this language to myself, specifically when I have no idea how to pray in a given situation. And yes, sometimes it's still strange to me. But I do believe in that moment that the Spirit is praying through me. So that's tongues. But let's move to the next gift. Paul talks about here, which is prophecy. What does he mean by that? 
See, as compared to tongues, prophecy is an intelligible, understandable, usually spontaneous word from the Holy Spirit through a Christ follower that's given to build up God's people. We often think of prophecy as future-telling. I found it's rarely future-telling. Sometimes, but rarely. Most of the time, prophecy is a message that, that the, the Spirit gives us that is meant to give us or others insight into God's will for a specific situation, or it comes with an application of God's word for the times in which we live. Someone who prophesies, we're told though, that if someone claims to prophesy, we are to weigh and test it. Not just receive it straight out, but weigh and test it against the truth of God's word, for the Spirit will never contradict His word. Prophecy never takes the place of Scripture or tries to eclipse Scripture or subvert Scripture, but will always point back to and confirm God's Word. And Paul says the purpose of it is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort the church. That means that if you're hearing somebody who's claiming to hear a word from God, and that word is serving to manipulate, control, or confuse, or terrify God's people, you have good grounds to say, I don't think that's from God. I think they got it wrong. Because Paul said also that prophecy from the Spirit can also serve to convict those who do not believe in Jesus of their sin and lay their hearts bare so that they will be able to say and see God is really at work among you. Someone who speaks a word from the Holy Spirit that they don't know anything about this person, they're able to speak something of encouragement and building up to them that they didn't know otherwise. They're able to say, whoa, God must be speaking to him. And regarding these two gifts, tongues and prophecy, what was Paul's admonition? He says we are to be eager to receive and live out these gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Now, is everyone supposed to have these gifts? I don't think so. As we see Paul talking in in chapter 12 last week and 14 this week, we see that that he makes it clear that the Holy Spirit gives everyone gifts. But is it going to be the same gifts for everyone? It doesn't appear so. Because we all have different roles to play. But saying that, I do believe the Holy Spirit wants to give these gifts to a whole lot more Christians than want to receive it. Or who are open to receiving it. But if we, if he has a gift for us that we know will serve to strengthen our relationship with God and will build up his church, shouldn't we at least be open to it? I mean, I want to be. I want to be. But see, some of us are hesitant to even talk about this because we've seen some of the ways that human beings have abused these gifts. Why is there often controversy around them? When and why do we run into problems with these gifts? See, we run into serious problems when we use God's gifts 
to promote ourselves. The problem with the church in Corinth was not with the gifts, nor with the giver, but with the recipients. See, there was disorder and division in the church in Corinth, not because of the gift themselves, but because of how they were being used. And so I want to read 1 Corinthians 14, 6 to 12. And as I do, and verse 26, and as I do, I want you to see if you can pinpoint what the problem was with how they were using these gifts in this church. All right? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible, means understandable, words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then you do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything, everybody say everything, everything. must be done so that the church may be built up. So did you pick it out? What was the problem happening with the church in Corinth? How are these gifts becoming twisted? See, when we use God's gifts to compete with one another... Instead of building one another up, it leads to confusion and division. This church in Corinth was pretty new. And because they were new, there were a lot of immaturities in how they were handling certain things. One of the big signs of immaturity, though, was when they gathered to worship Jesus, they didn't see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ First, but they saw one another as competition. That instead of showing up to the gathering to love and build up each other like Jesus, they would show up to compete for airtime. And they started sounding, started using their spiritual gifts like tongues, but using them sounding like a whole bunch of vendors at the Topsfield Fair. The problem was not tongues. The problem was how they were using them. And that the guiding principle was off. They had the gift. But what they were determining was they were going to use the gifts based on whatever built their own credibility. Or you could also say whatever built their ego. As a result, they would show up to compete because they were there to build up themselves. And whether it was spoken or not, in the Corinthian church, 
the culture of that church became this internal ranking system of comparing themselves to one another, jealousy and envy. And all of a sudden, if you're going to compete with each other, you need some sort of system of rules of how to measure each other, right? So all of a sudden, the gift of tongues, you, like if you had tongues, you, you were like a top-tier Christian. If you had prophecy, you were like, you're kind of up there, but a little underneath, perhaps. If you had any of the other gifts, you fell somewhere else down. The result was when they gathered together, they were like a bunch of kids talking at the same time. Kind of like my dinner table. All these unintelligible tongues, and it was confusing, and it was dividing. But when I read about this church... It challenges me to check my own heart too. Because I have to ask, whenever I come here with you all, am I focused on boosting myself up or on loving you like Jesus? I think, you know, as we think about churches and competition, you know, I not here, but in other places, I've, I've experienced church communities where it is almost treated that if you don't have the gift of tongues, then you're not really the elite Christian. But we don't just compete on spiritual gifts, do we? We can compete with each other on a number of different things. We can compete based on who has the most Bible knowledge, who has the most influence, who has the most friends, who has the most money, the nicest house. We walk in, we immediately start comparing and measuring ourselves against each other. And all those things that I mentioned are good things, but they become bad things when they come the things around which we measure ourselves and compare ourselves to one another. And a culture of, of competition only leads to confusion, division, and at times abusive power. But the thing that... God hit me with is that a church caught in internal competition has really just failed to grasp the gospel of Jesus. I mean, we have a Savior who saw our sin and separation from God and did not choose to judge us, but he moved in compassion for us. And was so moved that even though he had all the glory of heaven at his disposal, he decided not to use any of it for his own advantage or his own promotion. Instead, he humbled himself as a servant and became obedient to death, offering his life in the place of yours and mine on a Roman cross. That because of my sin, I deserve to die. But Jesus died in our place. My place, your place. And he says, as a result, all those who place their faith in Jesus, he declares us in right relationship with God and eternal co-heirs with Christ. And we are called sons and daughters of God. And no one can ever take that away from you. And I've realized so many times I've walked into this place And man, I really want to impress you. I really want to sound just as good as all those preachers you listen to online. 
I really want you guys to think that I'm some amazing person worth following. But then I realize that the reason why I focus on all of that is because it's my insecurity that's leading me. And I've forgotten that I have a God who already loves me, that I am his son, and that no one can ever take that from me. And church, when we are secure in him, when we know who we are and we know what he's done for us and we know we are free to then come together and now, because I don't need you to validate me or you to give me a sense of security, I'm now free to focus on loving you and building you up just as Christ does me. We're free. You see, when the gospel of Jesus like, transforms our framework, it actually revolutionizes our relationships too. And when the gospel of Jesus determines the framework for our lives, how does it impact the use of spiritual gifts? How does the gospel reframe all the spiritual gifts for us? Because when we know who we are in Christ, we realize spiritual gifts are given to us so that we may excel in those things that build up one another. Now I know some of you in here, you have experienced or at least you've heard about abuses of spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongues. I have too. I've personally experienced them. And when we experience that kind of hurt, we are very tempted at that moment to try to discard or to ignore these spiritual gifts. But when we do so, we're actually reacting to the bad instead of responding to the love of God. Paul warned us in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good. Sometimes because we had one bad experience, we want to throw the whole thing out. We want to distrust it all. But God says, no, test it against my word. And then what you know is from me, hold on to that. So that we're responding to the goodness of God, not reacting to the bad experience we had. And then once we see that, we see that the gospel's guiding principle for the gifts is to do whatever builds up God's church. You know, this is why Paul said to the Corinthians in a variety of different ways, as we just read. He says, I want you to, to desire the gifts, but when you gather together, he says, I want you to eagerly desire prophecy over tongues. Why? Because when you gather a prophecy, people can understand. But common sense here, if you speak in a tongue, people are going to be really confused. So if I get up here and I speak in a tongue to you guys, all right. <laughs> like it's basically sound, bah, I might as well just do that. But, but if I come up here and speak of prophecies from God, all of a sudden now this is a word you can understand that can serve to strengthen, encourage, and comfort your faith in God. And this is why Paul said, he says, I, he says, I speak in tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you probably. He says, but I would rather speak five 
intelligible, understandable words that will instruct, or we could say build up, encourage, or comfort others than 10,000 in an unintelligible tongue. And Paul isn't saying this because he's trying to offer rules. He's saying, I'm giving you a gospel guiding principle of what builds up others. And then you ascertain the wisdom of how to use the spiritual gifts from that. So like I said, God's given me a prayer language, but you're not going to hear it from up here. Unless I get a really strong sense that there's an interpretation coming with it, like you're not going to hear from up here. Because I would rather speak something you can understand that would actually build up the church than speak something that just leaves us in confusion. And you're thinking, wow, he's so spiritual. Maybe none of you would think that. That's fine. Um, but, but... This, this gospel principle of what builds up the church, I mean, you can apply that to every area of our lives. The knowledge God has given you, the money God has given you, the, the, the talents God has given you, the relationships God has given you. And when we learn to filter all our lives through this question of what builds up others, that's when we know that we're growing in maturity as followers of Jesus. And what's the result of that? A community that's unified in harmony, focused on a singular purpose of glorifying Jesus above all. You see, every gift the Spirit gives us is intended to make God and his love a reality to others. Like David said last week, the gifts are not given for us. God gives us gifts for others. And I want to wrap up just by reading one One verse we've already read again, and then leaving us with a simple challenge. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, or the ability to cook, tremendous hospitality, a lot of knowledge. Many of you have resources, you have energy, you have time, whatever it might be. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That is strengthened, encouraged, comforted, instructed in the truth. So what has the Spirit of God given you that he intends for others? We say a lot that we're a church, we want to be rooted in Jesus, growing together, serving our community. We can't grow together unless we all are seeing what gifts God has given us for one another. So what has God given you? And listen, some of you, gifts like tongues and prophecy, maybe you know that God's given you that gift and you've used it before. Perhaps you just haven't used it in a long time. I hope that this actually sparks in you a desire to pray and say, God, will you reignite that in me? Give me opportunity. Show me how I can use it. For others of you, like I said, talking about tongues and prophecy, man, you just kind of want to run the other way right now. You're pulling one of these, you know? That's exactly how I was when I first heard of these things. Exactly how I was. But in time, the prayer I started with and that I encourage anyone here to start with that I said, all right, whatever you want for me, God, 
will you give me the desire for it? Like, what a powerful way to just start. Whatever you want for me, God, whatever you have for me, give me the desire for it. Because I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize that, man, I just didn't believe him for more. And as I prayed that prayer, the more I learned to just submit to the Holy Spirit, and the more I realized I didn't need to resolve every mystery, the more I began to desire it. And I got a lot to learn, guys. Like even this morning, I was praying. I said, Lord, like I, I, I want to grow in the gift of prophecy, but I don't feel a confidence in it. I don't. I try to exercise it sometimes, but like I need to grow in my confidence in that. Will you give me the desire to grow in it first? Like, what, what, what is it for you? What is that starting place for you? Because remember, we're called to eagerly desire these because the Holy Spirit knows we need them. But like dinner, we need it, but it's not the destination. These gifts serve the purpose of building up one another. Every gift the Spirit gives us is intended to make God and his love a reality to others. So I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will begin to impart within this congregation just different gifts, right? It doesn't have to be the two that we talk about today. It could be any gift, but that the Holy Spirit begins to impart because I believe he has a lot more for us as a church than we are currently experiencing. Not because we're bad, but just because I believe this Holy Spirit is always giving more. And he wants to equip us fully to live out the mission of God in his strength, not our own. I believe he wants to do things in this church that only he can get credit for. But it begins by us opening our hearts and saying, whatever you have for me, God, just give me the desire for it. And then after we pray, Shelby's going to actually come up here and play a song. And this is a song that last spring, we went on a prayer retreat. And during a break, Shelby sat down at a piano and just started playing. And all of a sudden, she started playing. And this song she's about to sing just downloaded into her mind. And she began to sing it. And so I want her, we played it first service. This is the first time we played it for anybody else. But I want her to just play this for you guys. And we're just, you don't know it, so I want you to just remain seated and just receive during this song. But we're going to pray. And then I pray that as she brings this song, as we just said, that it truly will edify, build you up, and encourage you in the faith. So, Lord Jesus, we begin by just saying we trust you. And I know that you do not come and manipulate or control or deceive or force your spirit on anybody. You just simply wait for us to be open to receive it. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us as a church just a greater desire to walk in the fullness of all that you have for us, whatever that means and looks like. God, I do pray, though, that from this church that we will see that your Spirit give us words for one another, words that strengthen, encourage, build up. That, God, if there's any desire in us to compete with each other, to try to measure ourselves, to feel insecure around each other, that you just solidify us in the gospel even more, that we can be free to love each other just like you love us. But in all things, will you unify us in your spirit? 
unify us in, in, in our common bond and our faith in Christ. And may you move in a way that only you can here. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen.